We are looking at the Trinity's plan. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intentions of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which is freely bestowed upon us. Father, help us to have ears. Uh, Lord, this is, this is some serious theology, but it helps us to understand who it is that possess us. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that your people can set aside any preconceived notions and hear what the Holy Word says. And Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus But, Father, help us to allow the Spirit of the living God inside of us cleanse us so that we may understand what is the overwhelming massiveness of the love of Jesus Christ so that we may watch you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Father, we come before you today to worship in your word. And, Father, we pray that you will teach us in Christ's name. We are looking at what happened in the past. This is what this section is dealing with. And what we have here, when you see that before the foundations of the world, we see the Trinity making a plan. Okay, and it's before time. The only ones that are there are the holy angels and the Godhead. And they're coming up with a plan. And what we have actually that is setting up here is the Apostle Paul begins calling the church the body. When was the body of Christ planned? Before the foundations of the world. All right. So when you start looking at this, we have to understand when the Apostle Paul starts this off with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. It's because of what he's getting ready to say. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Now. It's already happened. And in, because of that, then we bless God. Okay, And the word is the word we get eulogy from. We speak well of God. It's funny, when something bad happens, God gets the credit. I don't care what it is. Why did God allow this to happen? But when something good happens, what happens? We take the credit. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at this, you start seeing that you who are truly saved... We're planned to be saved before he ever made creation. Now try to wrap your head around that one. All right. See, I can read that. Now I watch people get apoplectic over this because man's got free will. And there's no such thing. It's not in the Bible. All right. This is God's doing, which tells me I'm important to God. Because before he he created, he put me in the plan. If you're saved today, guess what? 
You're important to God. You're important to God. What we're looking at are the aspects of the forming of the body. What did he do? And there's seven things in this text, this section here, verse 3 through 6a, that shows the aspects of the Trinity's plan for the forming of the body of Christ. I told you guys that this is actually the second incarnation of Jesus. The church is. We bear testimony of our Redeemer. We come together united in the person of Jesus Christ in the authority of Scripture by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved. Okay, one of the things that I get in trouble for a lot is when I challenge a person's salvation. And people say, well, you're not to judge, not unless you be judged. I said, you better read the rest of it. Because if you act like the world, what am I supposed to think you are? Right? I mean, that makes sense to me. But people said, well, I can't believe that you would accuse me. Well, then quit acting that way. So what we're looking at is, how did God, the Trinity, come up to forming the body? And we stepped into this part of it. Last week, and I looked at, we started into, we're not done with, the method. The method of forming the body. Alright? And that is election. Now, there are people, for whatever reason, get all beside themselves when you tell them about election. And I tell them, don't worry about it, take that and mark it out of your Bible and ignore it. But you're going to do a lot of marking out. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That's a fascinating text. They were ordained into eternal life, but not all of them. And immediately the argument comes back all the time. I've heard it over and over again. So if God chooses everybody, what do we have to do with it? Okay, and uh, it is so frustrating when I hear that. Because I there's times that I just want to respond to him and says, You know, I have no idea why you're still here. That's what I feel like telling them. But I am told by my king that I should not tell him that. But I thought, you know, yeah. as many believe, what did they believe? Testimony of the word. Now, how are they supposed to get that? You and I. You and I. So when I watch people, listen, I want you to know this emphatically. Man makes decisions all day long. All kinds of decisions. That's all we do. If you really think about it, your day ain't nothing but a bunch of decisions. That's what you do. You're just making decisions. You're making choices. But let me explain something to you. It isn't based on free will. If you're not saved, then it is sin that is controlling your life. 
If you are saved, now you have this battle of your flesh versus the Holy Spirit. And it's a conflict all the time. And you have decisions being made sometimes by the Spirit of God, sometimes by the will of Terry. Okay, And I always know when it's the will of Terry. You guys might not. But I know when it was my decision. All right, because it usually ends up ugly. So what I want you to understand when it comes to trying to understand the sovereignty of God and the will of man is leave them both where they're at. Let God take care of it because his mind is infinite. Yours and mine ain't. All right. I want you to know this. First and foremost, God is never a victim. Okay, God didn't say, oops, I missed one. He didn't do that. Okay, he's never a victim. And it is the doctrine of election that lets God be God and God be the sovereign over existence. Over all of history and of all of the future. The doctrine of election says to us, each of us that is truly saved. That we are of value to the creator of existence. Alright? Eternally, every believer is in the heart of God. And we matter to God. So know that. Jesus came to shed his blood to purchase each one of us. That was planned for Before the foundations of the world. God has eternally formed his body. You call it the church. We call it. It got nothing to do with a building. I have traveled internationally. And there ain't a place that I have been internationally. Where they will look at the building and say that is the church. They will look at the people and say we are the church. Okay. I wish we could get a handle on that because if you're saved today. Now, listen, what I want you to understand, I don't care if you walked an aisle. I don't care if you laid your hand on the TV screen with a TV evangelist. I don't care if you heard a song and it just made you all fuzzy all over. That is not salvation. Well, if I call upon the name of the Lord, do you really know what that means? The word name, if you call upon the name of the Lord, that means all that he is. Okay, if you don't know all that he is, who are you calling on? You have to know him. He has called you and I to an intimate relationship that he set apart in eternity past. I don't understand why we struggle with self-worth if you're in God's plan. You know, years ago I did a study on what is Jesus doing since he ascended to heaven? I mean, is he watching football, uh, playing golf, uh, you know, waiting on dad to make up his mind when to come back? Uh, What's he doing? 
I mean, I, you know, I mean, here he is, second person of the Trinity. What are you up to? And I found it. I know exactly what he's been doing since he left. I know exactly what he'll be doing until he returns. And that's the 17th chapter of John. He's interceding for every one of us who has ever been or will ever be. He is at the right hand of the Father saying, I got that covered. Now, what's amazing about that chapter, that is actually the Lord's prayer. That is Him praying. So I would call that the Lord's prayer. The one that everybody else knows is His disciples asked Him, How do we pray? And He gave them an outline. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so on and so forth. Okay, that's the outline. But if you want to see the Lord's Prayer, it's John 17. But there's an amazing verse in John 17. John 17, verse 9. You know what's amazing about that? I told you, he's interceding on our behalf. He's been doing that since he left. 17, 9, guess what? He's not praying for the lost. He is not interceding on behalf of the lost. That's what it says. I do not pray for those of the world. And he has given us all the spiritual blessings that exist in the heavenlies. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago what the heavenly are. The heavenly is in the domain of God. The domain of God. So the resources that are available to the children of God are unlimited. Absolutely unlimited. And yet I look around and ask a simple question. Do we live that way? Do I live in the way that says, I have every spiritual blessing in the domain of God? See, now, then people say, well, how can you judge me? Well, you don't act like you're living with every spiritual blessings that is in the domain of God. That is one of the problems that, quote unquote, people say, well, men make decisions. Yes. But when are we going to start using the resources that are already in our possession? Try that decision. Listen, Jesus says, I come to make life and I've come to make it abundant. All right. If I use the resources that God has given me and he had planned to give me and before the foundations of the world, how fulfilling will your life be? What would you be lacking? I was reading Linsky, a Lutheran theologian. He says we should be living on God's best level. I thought, wow, you know what? That's true. We need to shake off this. Though we're still here, we're passing through and live at the level that He is called. That's when the children of God will minister with the greatest amount of power. 
It isn't gadgets. It isn't methods. It isn't, you know, uh, priming the pump and all the crazy. You know, you just need to be more creative in your church. Oh, what the heck? We're going to teach art? What do you want me to do? That's silly. I only have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. I don't have to be creative. I do need to use my resources. Walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the flesh. Child of the king. Because when you start getting a handle on the fact that you're a child of the king. Then you have a whole different focus on your sense of value. Your sense of value is not your job. It's not your income bracket. It is not your education. It is not your wife. It is not your husband. It is not your kids. It is not your grandkids. It isn't your gene pool. Your sense of value is that you belong to God. And it is purely based on His will. Look at the end of verse 5. According to His kind intentions of His what? Will. Verse 9, who purposed it? He made known to us the mysteries of His will. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. And then I get people come up to me and say, well, what do you think God's will is? Well, go through your Bible and find out. That, I just found three of them just in that little bit of space. This is His will. This is His will. Try those. See, and and, and I wish that the church, globally, would get a hold of this. This is amazing stuff. We are the body of Christ. We bear to the world the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it takes all of us together. In John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 11, says this. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Okay, who is his own? Israel, the Jews, they did not receive him. Drop down there to verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God. His own, the faith of humanity, rejected him. That's part of it. But it's not whether you are born of the Jewish race. It is a matter if you are born by his will. By his will. Your salvation, regardless how you got there. All right. Your salvation made you a part of the body of Christ. And if the church isn't important, then you need to back up to square one. Because part of the reason you were saved 
was to be part of this living organism that we call the church, empowered by the Spirit of God with the authority of His Word so that we would bear the testimony of Christ to all men, women, and children that we ever meet. Salvation is the body of God. As many as received, they received because they believed. Why? Because of the will of God. I think of this when I think about the will of God and the sealing of us for salvation. The will of God invaded our depravity with faith. Chapter 2 of the letter to the Ephesians, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you know that your saving faith was a gift? You couldn't come up with it. You couldn't come up with it. And it goes across the board. I mean, everybody says, well, men don't ever ask for directions. You know, when it comes to saving faith, women don't either. We're all in that. It was a gift from God. Even the faith that saved us was a gift from God. God, according to His own will. Okay, now people struggle with this, and I don't, I don't really understand it. And, you know, I'll use the terms that everybody wants to use. Some will call them the Arminius, and some will call them the Calvinist. Okay, the Calvinists believe that God is absolutely sovereign. The Arminius believe that man has a decision in it. But the truth of the matter is, what I've learned in my years of walking with the king, no, they all believe God's sovereign. Okay, let me give you a little illustration. I ask people occasionally when they're struggling with things. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Okay. Everybody will say, well, yeah, I think so pretty much. Oh, yeah. All right. Let me ask you a question then. Do you pray? If you do, who do you pray to? Why? Why do you pray? Well, because God is the source of all good things. See, that sovereignty of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. It is all from Him. So we seek Him and we seek for His blessings. Why? Because He's sovereign whether we want to admit it or not. In prayer, you are asking for things and you are giving thanks for the things that He's given you. Why? Because we realize God is the source of all things. If he's the source of all things, then who's sovereign? Because I've seen, uh, I have watched the Calvinists and, and the Arminians 
almost get into fights over it. And yet I ask them, do you pray? And both sides are as vehemently strong. And yes, you must. Then who's sovereign? Prayer for a Christian is not an attempt to con God. What I mean by con God, make a deal with him. God don't make deals. It is not to force God's hand. It is a humble acknowledgement of dependence on his sovereign will. I don't care what you're praying for. You're bearing witness to your dependence of his sovereignty. Listen, when we pray, we pray, your will be done. That is an acknowledgement of who is sovereign. Give us our daily bread. That is, again, his sovereignty. Listen, I find it fascinating with some people's thinking that God is sovereign in all things pertaining to life except salvation. And we make the decision for that. And that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Another reason, we thank God for our salvation. God is the source of our salvation. You did not create Jesus Christ. God created Jesus Christ for our salvation. And Romans 8 tells us so that we would be conformed into the image of his son. Listen, if you have a loved one, a family member. Do you ever pray for their salvation? Why don't you offer it to them? Oh, wait, you're not sovereign. God is sovereign. We believe in a sovereignty of God. And you know what? I know some who will not believe in the, acknowledge the sovereignty of God, and yet they do. Why would you pray? Why would you ask, give me my daily bread? Why would you ask, do your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Unless he is sovereign. So whether you're a hardcore Arminianist or whether you're a hardcore Calvinist, you're not going to get away from the fact that God's still sovereign. See, man, man wants logic. But the problem is you're looking at it through a depraved mind and a fallen world. So immediately know this, when you're looking for logic, it's already crooked. Okay? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The term that we use there, translated Word, is the word we get logic from. When man tries to put God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in one package, he always ends up destroying both. Because I hate to break the news to you, they don't fit. But that's why he's God and we're not. Every single one of us 
inherent in our nature, in our conscience, know that man is responsible for his actions. Now, we do our best to blame Adam and Eve or social conditions or just go down the line. Adam started with it. You made her. And we see what that got him. And we've been working on it ever since. You know, did you see where the guy uh, was killed in his Maserati? Okay. Yeah, it's a race car. Awesome. Are you a race driver? I mean, you can't be a race driver because they found on his cell phone him taking a selfie of his speedometer. But do you see what I mean? So we, you know what we call that where I grew up from? Logic. Thought that through, buddy. Okay. Well, he didn't steal the car. Well, I feel better. Listen, we know that man is responsible for his action. But I also watch people. There's a new line come out. Actually, it's been out for a few years. I thought it was going to die, but it's trying to rebirth itself. How is God sovereign if man's responsible for his actions? And so they've come up with a thing that they call open theism. And basically, open theism is as about a corny a thing that man could come up with. Basically, it says that God's learning. As we keep making boneheaded mistakes, then God learns, you know, I can't let them do that anymore because that was stupid. And, and I, I'm like, really? How far do you want to chase that dog down the road? Okay, because I suggest that you go get a Maserati and take pictures of your speedometer. The fallenness of man tries his best to oversimplify the Bible. Okay? Now, did you know that part of this book, even though it's written, and we can read it, is still a mystery? And it is natural to the humanistic mind to try to make it logical. Listen, it is not logical for God to take on the veil of humanity and pay the sins price for every human being that is not logical and he did it let's be realistic what king is going to die for his people so many fall into this irony that when you ask how the two sides those who believe that man is responsible and god is sovereign If you ask them how they pray, it seems like that those who deny God's sovereignty really actually believe in it. And sometimes more vehemently than those who already started out with God's sovereignty. I know many people who believe that God is absolutely sovereign. And I say, okay, then why is it you're worrying? You ever thought about that? That's kind of crazy. If God's absolutely sovereign, then what is your problem? Now then, if we live in that light, the world's going to look at us and say, wow, what is it they've got that I don't have? Just as strongly as those who affirm God's sovereignty are those who affirm man's responsibility, and they are both the same. 
Listen, you ain't going to solve it. You still have a natural mind. You're still in this earthen container. And it ain't going to fit. I don't care how you shake it out. I do know this. When a person goes to hell, they're responsible. When a person goes to heaven, God is responsible. That's as simple as I can make it. All right? All right, so the Bible tells us how does a man have a choice? Well, the choice is by the method of election. All right? God planned it before the foundation of the earth. All right? Let me give you a biblical explanation of election. So you don't get too confused. And everybody's like, I'm confused as mud now. Okay. There are three kinds of election. Okay. Three kinds of election. One you see in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. To be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, this is called theocratic election. Theocratic election. God chose a nation. Okay, it was ruled by God. It was God's design. It was God's plan. He set his love on them. It was God's free choice. And he chose them. Okay, now, I want you to be real careful about that. Because theocratic election has absolutely nothing to do with personal salvation. He set aside the nation of Israel. But not all Israel is Israel. Paul wrote in Romans. Just because someone is a Jew does not mean they are a believer. Even in the choosing of Israel, there was an election of those who would be saved. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, said, Many are called, few are chosen. Think about how many people that you know have heard the gospel and walked away. The call was there. But they weren't chosen. All right. Theocratic election means that you have a government system that God is the ruler of the system. Okay. Um, years ago, I taught on the tithe and everybody. Uh, I don't know. Some some people got mad at me. Some didn't. The tithe is for Israel. You know what it's for. You do it every April 15th. It's the same thing. It was the government tax. Come and give 10% of your first fruit. Then they had other times that they would give for the honoring of the, of the widows and orphans and all these other things. But when you hear people say the tithe, that was their income tax. I wonder if I can get our government to buy that. 
I doubt it. Okay? But see, God set the system up. He was the ruler of the system. His own choice. And yet Jesus said there are many called, but there are fewer chosen. A second kind of election is what I would call a vocational election. Sometimes God on his own, he chooses an individual for a specific task. All right. You know, part of me looks at it and I think about the fish that Jonah ended up on. The fish had a vocational calling. (laughs) Check out this bait I'm dropping you. All right. But a better probably illustration of it is the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy. God chose the tribe of Levite to be what? Priest. They weren't kings. They weren't rulers. They were priests. They would intercede between the people to God. Okay? Now listen. A vocational election does not guarantee salvation. Go look at some of them boneheads. I mean, the ground opened up and swallowed a bunch of them for worshiping a golden calf. All right? So a vocational election... And theocratic election, neither one of those guarantees an individual salvation. God called the Levites to a task. It was vocational. Remembering Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, he called 12 apostles. 12 of them. Okay? Only 11 were called to salvation. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So whatever you ask of the Father in my name will be given to you. Now, people think that that's salvation. That ain't salvation. That's a vocational task. I have something I want you to do. And I have chose you to go do it. All right. It was a task. It was a task. Remember, they started out as disciples. They were learners. When they had learned it, they were apostles. And they were sent forth. But it was a task. Back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is salvational election. Salvational election. Okay. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That is salvation. It's not theocratic. It's not vocational. We are in Christ. We are the body of Christ. It is a personal way that each and every one of us know him. It's an intimate relationship with the second person of the Trinity. That is salvation. That is how we 
are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We come together as the body of Christ, each of us gifted by the Holy Spirit in different manners so that we can do what? Strengthen the saints for the work of ministry. That we may bear testimony to a lost and dying world, the incarnation of Christ in the body of Christ. Who is the head? Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 16, verse 13, one of my favorite Bible characters, Rufus. Rufus. I look forward to meeting Rufus. 16.13 says, Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. That is salvation. That is salvation. See, God has ordained that we should be his people. So, individually, he has chosen us. He has chosen us. First message that I ever preached at Castle Rock Baptist Church. Gosh, that was a long time ago. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. When I preached that message a long time ago, I was leaving the pulpit and people were cussing me for the text. Okay? Because the method that he built the church was election. Ain't nothing like preaching your first message and getting cussed at. Because the first thing you think is, did I miss it by that much? (laughs) I couldn't have been that wrong, could I? I remember... The one gentleman had stepped out of the aisleway and started shaking his finger at me. And he got this blood vessels were sticking out all parts of his head. And he says, I'll wait you out. And I smiled at him. I said, not if God's sovereign. <laughs> he didn't make it. <laughs> He's off and running. See, I don't understand why there's an issue with this. His method for forming the body of Christ is God's free choice. God's free choice. I find that fascinating. We don't want God to have free choice. We want to have free choice. And yet, Paul tells us in the letter to the Romans, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. What kind of free choice does a slave have? I didn't quite get that. I wasn't really sure. He chooses individuals for salvation. I'll give you one more for the road. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. I don't know about you, but 
that seems pretty straightforward. If you're saved today, God drew you. You responded to the gospel. Somewhere, somehow, somebody, life, television program, whatever. And you responded. He drew you. Very simple, very easy. I do not understand why there's a problem with this. And I understand the fallenness of the human mind says, well, I had something to do with it. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. I've had people. <laughs> I have one person that's in my life. He's, he comes in and out of my life on a semi-annual basis. A long time ago, I kept thinking that God was using him to torment me. But I have come to the conclusion it's vice versa. That uh, I'm here to torment him. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was preaching out at cowboy camp. And he wanted to get in my face again. I just smiled at him. He, he says, you know what? I thought you would outgrow that five-point Calvinism thing. I said, well, actually, I'm a six-point Calvinist. He said, six? What's a six-point? I said, when we get to heaven, you'll see I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen. Here's my advice to all of you. When all else fails, remember God's sovereign. All right, you can go ahead and work yourself ragged as long as you want. I don't care. I mean, it's you ain't the first one. You won't be the last one. But what I look at is, you know what? God's still sovereign. I don't care what the mess is. I don't care how you got in the mess. God's still sovereign. And you know what I learned? He will get your undivided attention. Okay? He woke me up in a hospital after three days because I was wanting to fight with him. That's brilliant. Okay, I was, I was picking a fight. Come down here and fight like a man. And I woke up in the hospital and said, never mind. <laughs> I give. Okay, so he is sovereign. He spoke existence into being. All of he, he created time. And I mean, you want one that just mess with your head. It says God is patient. And every one of us here says, Amen. How can a person who's not bound by time be patient? Just think about that for a while. I get, I'm going to go out and have me a cup of coffee. Alright? But don't try to make God fit you. It says that the water fits in the hollow of His hand and the span of His hand is creation. Leave it there. And know this. If you're saved, you'll never have anything not to be thankful for. If you're not saved, you'll never have anything not to pray for. And every one of us should be praying for our loved ones, friends, co-workers, people that we know. We all know somebody who's not saved. But you know what? You can't get them saved. I had a bus driver when I was in Israel a few years ago, and uh, 
we were smoking a hookah together. It's a water pipe that they smoke uh, peaches and apples. and It's actually pretty good, but overrated. Anyway, we were sitting there. And he says, they tell me you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, I am. He says, i got to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He says, every time I do one of these tours, all the pastors try to get me saved. I said, all right. He says, how come you ain't trying to get me saved? I says, I can't save anybody. And he said, what? I can't save anybody. All right. So I know people who are afraid to share their faith. Do you realize you can't screw that up? It's impossible. Why? You're still not sovereign. God's sovereign. God's sovereign. Preach the word. And if you have to, use words. I think that's totally awesome to think that every one of us who are here today uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ are of great value that in eternity past, he chose you. Wrap your head around that one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness to uh, walking with you. Lord, uh, may we see, may we learn, may we receive what the Apostle Paul did and do those things so the peace and grace of God would only expand in our moment-by-moment lives. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the privilege of studying your word. Thank you for the privilege of being in the church. Father, I thank you that you drew us here today that we could worship in spirit and truth. And we'd be overwhelmed by your presence. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.